I'll try not to lose my notes. I need to get one of those iPads, you know, fancy. <laughs> those can't blow away, hopefully. Well, we're we're going to continue today in our series in Philippians. We're just kind of just getting started. And today, uh, I, I was thinking today with the passage that it really, when we're thinking about what's happening in the church today, um, it's similar to what was happening with the Philippian church in so many ways. I, I think of it kind of like a like a pressure cooker. I don't know. Is it, I don't know if anybody during the pandemic brought bought one of those like uh, Instapots, you know, pressure cooker things that became they were like super popular. Like I feel like a year and a half ago, I feel like all of the moms were talking about them, about what they're cooking and how you can cook a frozen chicken in like 30 minutes or something like that. From I was like that sounds disgusting, but <laughs> a fro <laughs> frozen chicken, I'm sure that's gonna taste very tasty. But uh, you know, and it. Obviously, it works by, you know, adding pressure so the temperature can get hotter and all that kind of stuff. And um, I was thinking how, like, life right now feels so much like a pressure cooker. And and there's just so many forces coming down on us. I know many of us probably feel a sense that even tightness in your chest sometimes, like pressure and not even sure where exactly it's coming from, just from all the different conflicts that are going around us, how challenging it is showing up to church and it's not what it used to be, right? Show, you know, wondering about what's happening with this person or that person, or your work is so much more complicated. Your neighborhood is complicated. Politics and all this stuff I don't even want to bring up right now, right? Like, I don't want to help you. I don't want you to have to go there, right? Like, it's a lot of this pressure, right? And, and, and when I talk to people and try to be that encourager to folks, I hear a lot of, of sadness in people's lives or frustration or fear, about losses and and they're real like i can't there's no way to there's no way to minimize it right we feel sadness over losses we feel fear over the uncertainty of the future we feel frustration people have hurt us we don't like certain things we find out think we found out things about people we didn't want to find out about them we're not sure what to do with about that right there's this actual real pressure and I don't think it's much unlike what the Philippian church was experiencing. Different, but they were experiencing immense amount of pressure. First of all, one of the things we have to recognize is that this Philippian church was a small church. It was, it was a house church. A lot of times I think we think of the New Testament church and we think of just Acts chapter 2 where, you know, 3,000 people come to the Lord. And we just think it was always like that for those early Christians. But that's not how it was. The church was very small and persecuted and spread out. And there wasn't like, there's was no social media of like how awesome everybody's doing. We read Acts and we hear the miracles of what God did to plant churches, but we don't get to hear, we don't see all the stories of how hard it was for them. And this Philippian church in Philippi, it was one of the, the hardest places to be a Christian. Probably the Philippi we talked about last week, it was a city that was a Roman city in Greece. And it was a city, literally, it was considered Roman soil. And the city was literally modeled after the city of Rome. When you walked into Philippi, it was supposed to feel like Rome. And it, and all the time, what this pressure is happening, this cultural pressure is going on, there's all this word about Caesar. And what do they say about Caesar? Caesar is Lord and Savior. And so this news comes out about Jesus being Lord and Savior. You can understand that probably wasn't very popular especially to a city like Philippi, which was very, very loyal to Caesar. They love Caesar. They love the Roman Empire. 
They loved everything it stood for. It's not the way we look like it back in history. They loved their culture. And Christianity was a threat to all of that, a threat to their economy, a threat to their way of life. And so you have this little church that was birthed by a miracle, remember? It was birthed by a pure miracle of God. They didn't do it. Paul didn't do it. Paul shows up and can't even barely find any Jewish believers. He shows up and there's just a few women praying by a river. And he preaches the gospel and one of the women happens to believe. That wasn't, that wasn't Paul. That was the miracle of the gospel opening someone's life. And Lydia believes and her whole household believes. And then, and then Paul casts a demon out of a demon-possessed lady who's casting fortunes in a weird, creepy, like, exorcist kind of voice. That's the way she was. It's, it's, it's the, if you look back at the history, I'll talk more about it another week probably. And she probably becomes a Christian because she's delivered. It's a miracle. Paul gets thrown in prison for doing this miracle. That's showing you what the culture's like. They, he was, it's because he was threatening their economy by going and, and taking away this fortune teller's abilities. And so he's thrown, he's beaten and tortured and thrown in jail. And then there's an earthquake. And the doors are thrown open and, and the guards are about, about, about ready to commit suicide because he thinks everybody's, all the prisoners have run, but run. But, but Paul's just still sitting there singing songs to the Lord and saying, hey, I didn't run away, man, because I wanted to tell you about Jesus. He's the one that did the earthquake. You don't need to kill yourself. It's going to be okay. And this, this ex-military, rough around the, super rough around the edges, who knows, he might be an alcoholic, becomes a Christian, right? And, and his household believes. And so you have this church of like the, like we talked about Lydia as this, she was a business lady with a big house. They probably met at her home and, and, and she's, a, she's a high class lady. And you got this tortured, ex, exploited lady who was, who was possessed by a demon. You got this rough around the edges jailer. That's how their church was started. And then Paul's kicked out of town, and they're left on their own to keep this thing going. And so they're meeting now 10 years after this time, 12 years after. The church is not thriving from anything that we know. It's the way we would think of thriving today in America with all this kind of success and numbers and big gatherings. It's a small group of believers who meet in secret practically on a Sunday night after work, maybe 30 people. They don't feel like they're, and they've, I'm guessing after all this persecution in 10 years and not this wild success that they hoped for, they're probably feeling a little discouraged. They're maybe losing some of that, that joy they once had over the miracle of the gospel. They're feeling like, well, if the gospel is such a miracle, how come I, I, when I share my faith, I get persecuted? How come no one wants to hear about it? How come our church isn't growing? If, if Jesus is real, why is this so hard? It feels a little bit like today. That's how Paul writes this to encourage them that the God, that what God started in their life, you will finish. That God is working and to get their eyes back on Jesus and the work he's doing in their life. So let's read from Philippians chapter 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in, in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of 
Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray you would open our ears to hear your word today that is so life-giving and encouraging, God. We need, Lord Jesus, to have faith in the miracle of the gospel, Jesus. The good news, Lord Jesus, that you are good and great and you have come to save us and to empower us and give us abundant life. Help us, God, to get our eyes on you, Jesus, this morning to see your work in our life, to trust you and to partner with you in your work, to have faith, Lord God, that you are growing your church and spreading the love of your kingdom throughout all of the world. May we trust you to say, Jesus, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it will cost me, but I see you as the most beautiful thing on the earth. And I want to be a part of what you're doing to spread that beauty. Amen. So here's Paul. He starts off the letter with this great prayer of, of thanksgiving. It is always good, by the way, to start prayer with thanksgiving, to remember the good things that God has done. Gratitude is at the heart of our spiritual growth, to get to, to, to remember what we are grateful for. And he says, I'm, I give thanks to my God for you. Now, notice now, think about this. Paul has, he uses joy all throughout this letter more than any other letter, 19 or so times. And he, joy is at the heart of this prayer. But I want you to think about this. Paul is praying, he says, with this joy. Like, and he mentions it in several ways. Like, every single time I am thinking about you, praying for you, I'm praying for you all the time. And there's always this joy in my heart. There's always this joy in my life. Now, think about this. Why does Paul have joy in his life? I promise you it is not because of his circumstances. It is not because he's looking around him and saying, oh, I'm getting so much great uh, uh, encouragement from everybody around me. Life is so easy right now and so good. I'm so blessed and my job is great and my family is great and my, everything's great. No, it is none of that. Paul is in prison right now. And it, is not, and it is a terrible prison compared to anything we could envision a prison. I'm not saying any prison is great, but this isn't a prison with medical and dental and three meals and, and, and 80s reruns, okay? This is a different kind of prison. This is a prison where you're, he's literally locked to a guard all day long, and he, they don't even feed you. you. You have to rely on your friends and family to feed you. And unfortunately, Paul is in Rome where he doesn't have any friends and family necessarily. And Paul says actually that at one point he was literally starving because no, and he felt abandoned by all of the churches that he had planted because no one would help him. And everybody was talking about how he was no longer blessed by God anymore. And at that moment where he is starving and he's not sure if he's going to starve to death, that is when Epaphroditus came from Philippi to say, hey, I brought some money so that we can get you some food. 
So he has joy, and this, and he's writing these letters in this place. He has joy. Why? It is not because of his circumstances. His circumstances are far worse than any one of ours. It is because his eyes were on Jesus Christ and the gospel that every single day he's like, oh, there's a new guard here. I get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's stuck here. I'm going to sing some songs about Jesus. We're going to have a nice little Bible study. And I get to write some letters to all these churches. I got things to do for Jesus locked in this prison. He's got joy because his eyes are on Jesus and the partnership that he has with Jesus to spread the news about how great Jesus is. This is a great reminder to us because here's the thing. If we get fixated on our feelings right now, we are going to fail. We're going to fail as an individual, and we're going to fail as a church, and we're going to fail our our, our good news to the community around us. We're going to miss the wonderful opportunity that we have right now to have joy in circumstances that aren't joyful. Well, what greater witness do we have than to be a people who have a joy that has to be from somewhere else because it sure as heck ain't from here. That is what the world needs. But if we get our eyes focused on our problems and what we wish things were like or the discouragements that we're facing or our negative feelings, we will not have joy. And by the way, I am not saying that we should dismiss things. There's a whole lot of things I don't like right now. I've been hurt in a whole lot of ways that is real. I have, I, have, I have frustrations that are real. I'm not trying to say let's be Pollyanna and like dismiss those things. But what I am saying is that we, in those feelings, in that anxiety, in that frustration, in that pain, we say, I am not going to put my, I'm not going to fixate on this. I am going to fixate on Jesus because that is my hope and that is my joy. And every day, there's days where I'm fighting all day long to say, God, the feelings come flooding over my heart and I have to put on some worship music. I have to put on this song that I love right now that says, lay it all at the feet of Jesus. I have to pray. I have to get in the word. I have to talk to one of my brothers in Christ and say, I'm struggling right now. I need your help. I have to get my eyes back on Jesus because there's so much good news in Jesus Christ. And I am a partner with Jesus. And I have partners here at this church. And there is ministry for us to do. And I find so much joy in that. But there's days when I don't find joy in anything else. But I always can find joy in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to say, I have joy because my eyes are on Jesus. And then he's going to say, hey guys, and I have joy because guess what? Your eyes can be on Jesus too. And I remember that your eyes really are on Jesus. Maybe you've lost track of that, but I know that your eyes are on Jesus. I know that you have Jesus. And you notice he's giving thanks. And what does he end up giving thanks for? This is very, very common. He gives thanks for people. He doesn't give thanks for his circumstances, even when they were good. He gives thanks for the work of Jesus Christ and the work that he is doing in people's lives. He gives thanks for his church. His church is the people. The church is people. He gives thanks for you. This is like a, such a good reminder to say, well, that come to prayer and say, God, I'm th- go through our directory. Go through the people you know. I'm giving thanks. I'm giving thanks for this person. I'm giving thanks for them. Thank you, God, for the work you're doing in life. You have somebody who's frustrating you. Start giving thanks for over the good things that you know that God is doing in their life or that is showing them. Start praying with thanksgiving for people in your life. And then he gives thanks to them. And why does he have thanks over their life? He says, Paul, Paul has joy for the Philippians because of their partnership with him and for their partnership with Jesus together. He has joy 
He's giving thanks because of their partnership with Jesus. They have a partnership. Jesus is in partnership with them together. We are in a partnership, he says. He says, I'm always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's saying, you're the ones I know. And he has so much joy for them because they're the ones he knows haven't abandoned the gospel. They haven't abandoned him. He says, we have a connection. We have a partnership. We're in partnership with Jesus. That word partnership, by the way, is a very popular word around grace and glory. It's one of Mark's favorite words in the Bible. We used to have a fellowship room over here called the Koinonia Room, right? Which we demolished and turned into the Koinonia Lobby. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. But uh, but it's koine, this word partnership is called koinonia. It's often translated fellowship, but partnership is probably a much better translation, especially in this context. And let me tell you why, because especially today, the word fellowship is much too weak of a word. Because the word fellowship or koinonia or par- really doesn't mean, koinonia doesn't mean like we get together and hang out and have a potluck and are nice to each other. Not saying that's bad. That is a great thing to do. We are a family. Like, I love it. We're going to do it today. But it's something a little, it's something much deeper than that. He's saying because of what Jesus Christ has done in our life, we are in partnership with one another. The word actually was used often before the Bible was ever written to talk about either a marriage, like people come together and they're married. And that means that it's not just like, oh, we're together and we kind of like each other, but it's that we've sacrificed something of ourselves for a greater good for a mission, for a purpose. There's a purpose to our lives. So, so a man and woman would come together and they're in a partnership. Why? Because they're coming together to thrive together and to, have a, have a, and, and to start a family, right? And to help that family thrive. They're in koinonia, they would say in Greek. They're in koinonia. And then they would often use it for business, in business partners. So two people would come together and they would buy a piece of land to farm, Right? So now think about this. What is one of the things that we don't give, we give up, we don't want to share at all? Our money, right? That's the hardest thing to share. Sometimes married couples have an easier time sharing their, you know, all kinds of other things, but they don't want to share their money, right? Like, you know, some people don't even want to share. I heard one lady, one lady say the other day, like young lady, she said, well, she was thinking about marrying someone, but she wanted to make sure the guy knew that he was, she wasn't going to share none of her money, <laughs> you know? And so, we don't want to share our money, right? And so, but when you have a, so you're not, so business partner, that's a hard pick right there because now you've got to share your financial future together. So they've given something. They're not just friends. Yeah, they, they probably like each other. You wouldn't go to, in a business some of you hate. They don't just hang out together. They're in a partnership that they've sacrificed to make for a future sacrifice for a future together. So when God says that we are in partnership, Paul says, you are in partnership with me. He's saying we have this partnership in Jesus Christ that we've sacrificed, like God, we, we have given our life to Jesus. We're servants of Jesus Christ. We've, we've surrendered our life to say Jesus is Savior and Lord, and together we want to we grow in that, and we want to spread that news. It's a that's what it means, a fellowship. It's like the, it's like the my, one of our favorite movies, right? Our favorite books, L- The Lord of the Rings. When it calls it the fellowship of the ring, that's not the potluck of the ring, right? That's not the we went to Starbucks and hung out of the ring. Like the people, the, the fellowship of the ring, these are people that would never think about it. These are people who never would get along with each other. In fact, if you know the history of Middle Earth, 
Several of them, their, their species actually try to kill each other, right? They hate each other. And yet we have this pipe-smoking wizard, right, who's kind of really grumpy all the time and bossy, this brooding human who doesn't share his feelings, got this jolly dwarf who's got a chip on his shoulder because he's short, right? You got this contemplative elf who's always trying to say wise things because he's like a million years old, and three sheltered hobbits who don't know nothing about anything. And they come together, and they become the best of friends. But why? It is not because they hung out together. There was no hanging out together that would make these people friends, that would make them in fellowship and love each other. No, it was because they came together for the common purpose to destroy the ring and save the world. And in doing that, they hated each other at first. But in their partnership for this mission, they sacrificed their feelings for one another. Like, I actually hate you, dwarf. I want your whole species to die is how they feel. You killed my great-grandpa. Your species killed my great-uncle or whatever. We hate each other, but we've come together for, and sacrificed our feelings and how we feel about this and, 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 and all of the animosity that our races had towards one another. We've given all that aside for this common purpose that's bigger than us. And in the process, they would die for each other. And they can't wait to hang out and be together. And they become the best of friends. That's koinonia. We in Jesus Christ, are in koinonia, Paul says. We are in fellowship. We are in partnership with Jesus Christ for a mission that is the most important thing on the face of the earth, that people need to be loved. People need their shame covered. They won't even, they don't even know. So, you know, I was just reading this week about how men and how they process their shame. And they basically said, hardly a man on earth that will admit he has shame, but every single one of them is constantly motivated to cover their shame. We need our fear. We have fear. We have pain. The only way all of that is going to be covered up is by the love of God. There's not the love of a woman or a man or the, or the covering of a great job or money or success or a great car or a great house. None of that will cover your, your shame. None of that will make you feel safe. None of it will make you feel loved. Only the love of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has come and saved us so that we might be one with the love of God again that we were made for since the beginning. There's nothing more important. We come together today. You're joining us online. I'm praying that God would draw you back to Jesus, that you would feel it, that you were made for Jesus Christ, and that in Jesus, we are in partnership with one another. And I know right now being in partnership with one another is so hard. But when we get our eyes back on our partnership with Jesus, we will see that we are in partnership with one another. And so I can come together and say, I'm going to partner with you. Even though I don't like everything about you. I don't, I'm not going to talk about that right now. But we love Jesus, and there's something bigger than that. And I'm trusting that Jesus is going to help us get over that too. Amen? And here's the thing. I know some of us are really, really frustrated with life right now for various reasons. 
And I just want you to know, I just, I, hear, I just want you to hear this with grace. The people who are going to be able to overcome their frustration and all of the pain that we're experiencing and the challenges are the ones who will get back to that partnership with Jesus. Because you have to recognize, you have to get your eyes on Jesus and you have to have people in your life that you're in partnership with in Jesus. Like you need that in your life. And I know so many of you have that and I pray that you would press into that. Those are the ones, this is what is going to get us through the frustrations and the pain and the confusion over this time. Get our eyes on our partnership with Jesus that we have people that we are in partnership and then start asking God, what is the bigger thing that we are meant to be doing with our lives? Because it is more than just surviving right now. It is more just than waiting for life to get back to normal or hoping that the, the world climate changes. I don't know what's going to happen with those things, but I know that God loves me and he loves, and I know that love because of Jesus Christ. And I know that I have partners with me that love Jesus too. And we're in partnership to spread that love to others around us. And that's what helps me get out of my frustration and my pain and my shame and my hurt. It's when I get back to my partnership with Jesus Christ. And I know grace and glory so many of you are in partnership with Jesus and you're in partnership with us that we are in partnership. I look out there and I see, I, I, th I think like Paul this week, all the time I have joy that we're in partnership with each other. And I know you online, you might feel like, oh, I hope Pastor Will knows I'm in partnership with him too. And I know it. I feel it. We're in partnership too. I know life's complicated. We can be in partnership in all kinds of ways. Paul wrote this letter. It was, you know, it was worse than going off over online, right? He's writing a letter to people and saying he's in partnership with them. I can look at you online and say we're in partnership too. You can be watching all over the all over the country, all over the world, and say, I see you as a partner in the gospel. And I hope we can encourage you one another in that. And I hope you can see, find partners where right where you're at, so that we might get our eyes off of the pain and hurt and back onto Jesus and what he's doing. What's so beautiful about this, I'm actually going to skip one part of this. We'll give it maybe later this week, his prayer about love, growing in love. I just want to close with this. It's so, it's so good to know that if you're feeling like, wow, I don't know, that sounds like a big thing to do. I don't know if I can do this. You know what's so great to know is that you don't really, it's not like, it, it's God at work. God's the one doing it. Like right now, you're feeling God drawing you to himself. It's God's work. God's the one working. God's the one drawing us together. God's the one holding us together. God is the one who makes this possible for us to partner. You know, we don't, we don't partner with Jesus by our choice. We partner with Jesus because he first made the choice to partner with us. That's where our power is. That's how we get our eyes on Jesus, is that he already reached down and partnered with us when we didn't deserve it in any possible way. He came and partnered with us. He called some disciples who were sinners and one who betrayed him. He said, will you partner with me? They didn't even know a clue what they're doing. They didn't even know how to put their faith in Jesus yet. He said, will you partner with me? I'm going to make you into fishers of men. I don't even know technically if they were saved yet. And Jesus comes down and he partners with them and he loves them. And this is how God works. He is, the, is his power at work in us. He says at the end of the chapter, at the end of our section, he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Our work, the fruits of what God is doing, it comes 
through Jesus Christ. Everything comes back to Jesus. We need your help. Help us to partner with you, Jesus. When I feel scared, when I feel sad, when I feel like it's impossible, I go to Jesus. And he said in verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And here's what I know. I look out there and I can see all of you and I can see you online in spirit. God has started a work in you. I want you to think for a second back on what God has started in your life. Think about the best of times with Jesus. The time when he came and you knew he was your savior. And you put your faith in him. And the love that you felt for Jesus and the gratitude you felt for him. Think of that time when you were serving him and it was going so well. Think about a time when I was in, 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 at ETV camp. And I was scared out of my mind because they asked me to be the camp speaker and I didn't feel ready. I was a terrible youth speaker, I felt like. And I felt like God wanted me to stand up there and be an evangelist and share the gospel with boldness and power. And I felt like at the end, when I did the altar call and say, you know, what we call it in church, that's a churchy word, sorry. When I said, hey, you want to, you know, when I was saying, hey, does anybody want to make the choice to follow Jesus? God in the, prompted me in my spirit, I want you to go all in. I want you to ask them to stand in front of everybody right now and say, I'm standing because I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I was so scared to do that. I'm like, no one's going to stand. I'm going to look like a complete idiot. It's going to ruin the whole vibe of camp all week. And I said, God, I, I preached the gospel and the power that Jesus gave me. It's his word. It's his gospel. And the Holy Spirit moved. When I said, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, stand. Granted, this is a youth camp full of church kids, okay? 50 kids stood in a camp of like 300 kids to accept Christ as their Savior. Jesus started a work. I think about those kids. He started a work in their life, and he started a work in my life, and he showed up at so many times. What God has started, he finishes. God has started a work at grace and glory. Many people have come to Christ here. Many people have been loved. They have been healed. They have found healing. They've been encouraged and they've been loved. And all of us wish there was four times more people here right now, probably. But God has started a work in our church and he is going to finish it. And when I say in our church, I mean he has started a work in your life. And he will finish that work. And it's not just your life, it is our life because we are in partnership together with Jesus Christ. We will thrive as a church when we start seeing that we are together with Jesus. And Jesus is doing his work through us. Amen. Kaylee, will you come lead us in worship? This is a time for you to remember the work of Jesus Christ in your life and to say, Jesus, I am going to, continue, I am going to work with you because I know you are finishing that work in my life. Your power is with me. Jesus, I am going to partner with you. I am going to find people in my life to partner with who love Jesus, and we will spread your love. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we will help each other spread your love to this community that needs it. Amen.
Father God, I thank you, Lord. I pray, I pray for anyone who just like those youth kids felt the Holy Spirit moving on their life and they want and they feel like today they want to make that choice to trust you to be your save their savior and the leader of their life because you're their God and Savior. I pray that right now you'd give them the faith to say yes to you, Jesus. And I pray for all of us who have said our yes to you, Jesus. But I pray you help us to say yes to you again today in a new and powerful way, Lord Jesus. That you're here. Help us to get fixated on you today, Jesus. I pray you'd break the bonds that are over our hurt.